we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Once again, welcome you to Logos Worship. Um, if it's been a while that you've been in this space, man, it's good to have you back. Um, if you're new, whether you're in the room for the first time or worshiping at home with us for the first time, we want to let you know that we are thrilled that you're with us and you trusted these moments with us to lead you into worship. Um, and so thank you so much for being a part of that. The way that you can connect with us, at least initially, is uh, by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. Would you let us know that you worshiped with us today? Um, also, as I've already alluded to, we are beginning a brand new series in First and Second Chronicles. If you are new with us, you're going to hear me talk about Reverse, and reverse is just a really snazzy word that we use to describe um, the reading or the passage of scriptures we're committed to reading together as a church family and teaching from and preaching from over the course of 13 weeks. So if you're new with us, you, have, you are on week one of a brand new series entitled Solomon, um, Building a Place of Worship. Uh, we challenge people to read these passages of Scripture in their own time of devotion at home, and we teach them in small group, and then, of course, we preach them from them on Sunday mornings. But also, but also, in Logos, we are taking the next four weeks within that reverse series of First and Second Chronicles um, to challenge and encourage you to adopt a rhythm of repentance Moving towards God together. And you hopefully found this on your chair as you came in. One of the ways that we want to encourage you towards a rhythm of repentance, of moving towards God, is by providing very simple resources every week. And the first of these resources is read and meditate. Now, hopefully you are already in God's Word and in some way every week, and I'm asking, would you consider adding a few passages of Scripture to a new rhythm? Or maybe you don't have a rhythm of reading God's Word throughout the week. Well, here, take this and begin that rhythm. I've included um, four uh, stories that are connected to a life of repentance or an expression of repentance from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So would you read this along with me? On the back is a simple, a simple prayer um, that would guide you as you read through these stories and expressions of repentance. Our hope is that this month in particular, as we give emphasis to repentance and moving towards to God together, will be meaningful for you. 
um, that, that we can incorporate in our life a consistency of identifying areas where we are out of sync and to move towards God in a new way to redirect our life to Him. Well, with that said, uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read God's Word together. We're just going to read verses 8 through 10 of chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. Let's read this out loud with one another. So now, with God as our witness, and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for uh, your incredible grace to us as you've given us your word that we can hold in our hands and read with our own eyes and receive in our own hearts and be transformed by. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Uh, Lord, we ask that your spirit help us to receive your word and listen and obey you according to it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. And so sometime before this moment in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David is in his palace that God built for him after securing peace and somewhat stability in the nation of Israel. And he had built for himself this sizable palace. And he was enjoying his palace, and as he looked out the window of his palace, he saw the tent in which the Ark of the Covenant rest. And he thought to myself, how is it and why is it that I am living in this beautiful palace and God's Ark of the Covenant is in a tent? And at that moment, David had the desire to build a temple, a glorious structure that would be the home of the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing God's presence and favor and blessing, a glorified tabernacle. That's what he desired. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, where David takes the time to share that desire with those assembled, all the officials and leaders of Israel. And so I'm going to read just the first few verses of chapter 28. David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals and captains, the overseers of the royal property and livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men and all the brave warriors in the kingdom. And David rose to his feet and said, My brothers and my people, it is my desire to build where the ark, uh, to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it. 
But God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. David has a desire to build a permanent structure, a temple, to house the Ark of the Covenant. But what has led up to this moment? And if you're like me, you always have to review where we are. There's so much going on in this story of God's salvation through his people um, that we often have to catch ourselves up. So let's just, let me take a moment to catch all of us up where we are at this point in history. At this point in history, David is 1,100 years removed from Abraham, that great patriarch through whom God gave that initial covenant with Abraham that you will bless many nations. You'll be the father of nations. In fact, you'll be the father of kings, i.e. King David. He's 950 years removed from Jacob, and Jacob, whose 12 sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. He's 500 years removed from the Exodus, where God rescued his people out from under the Egyptians, where they had been enslaved enslaved for 400 years. And he's about 500 years removed from God's covenant with his people in the wilderness, where God said, here, I will be your God and you will be my people, and I will give you my law and my ways so that you can hear my voice and follow me. About 500 years removed from that moment, about 400 years removed from the time of Joshua when he led the people from the desert into the land of Canaan and began to conquest uh, and to gain control of the land that was to be theirs. About 50 years removed from Israel's first king, King Saul. And of course, we know that King Saul was not a man after God's own heart in the same way that King David was, but he was a man much of about his own ego and accumulation of power, and God removed his favor from him and appointed King David, who was and would be a man after God's own heart. And although David was anointed to be the second king of Israel, it didn't happen overnight. It took actually a long period of time and a lot of trouble for David to actually become the second king of Israel, the anointed one of God. And David was by far a perfect king, He made many, many mistakes along the way, not to mention his own personal grievous sin that led to incredible heartache and violence and death in his own family. And yet, he's described as a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but because he recognized his own sin. In incredible moments of humility, he would return to God and say, forgive me for against you alone have I sinned. He was a man after God's own heart. And it's under David's rule that he would unite the kingdoms and that he would extend the borders of Israel and defend the borders and provide a sense of security so that he could hand over this united kingdom to his son Solomon, who would be the third king of Israel. David had many sons. And if we're just left with 1 Chronicles chapter 28 or 1 and 2 Chronicles, we lose sight of the messiness that happened on the scene and behind the scenes. It was a virtual game of thrones he, because of the many sons, but God had chosen Solomon to be the third king of Israel. And it is under Solomon that we find stability and growing peace it's here that Israel grew in incredible wealth and power, power and influence in the region under King Solomon. 
And so here we are in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 where David is near the end of his reign. And God, uh, he, had, he had a desire to build this temple, this structure for God. He sought to honor God. Um, he sought to glorify God by building this magnificent building, uh, this temple. And he shares this desire with his people. And that's where we are. If we're to go back to this initial desire in 2 Samuel chapter 7, is where we see David standing in his palace, looking out the window. We get a sense of David's longing, but we also get a very clear response of God to David's desire. So I want to take us there just for a moment. Let me go ahead and read um, David's comments in chapter 28, beginning in verse uh, 3. It says, But God said to me, You must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. If we're to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see this initial expression of desire that King David has to build this temple. You can go there if you want and look back, but let me just kind of tell you what happens. David expresses his desire to Nathan the prophet. Nathan initially says, hey, man, go do that. That sounds great. Just, man, build that temple to your heart's desire. Later that evening, Nathan gets a word from the Lord, and the Lord says, I want you to go back to David the next day, and I want you to tell him what I'm about to tell you. So Nathan goes back to King David and says, just, just wait just a minute. Um, the Lord has spoken to me, and the Lord has said to me that of all this time that I have been with your people, King David, from Abraham on and from bringing them out of slavery and giving them the law and commissioning the tabernacle, not once have I asked them to build a permanent structure like a temple. I've never asked anyone to do it. I've always, my presence has always abided in the tabernacle, that tent that would move from place to place as I would lead the people of God to move. I have no need for a permanent building structure like a temple. Not to mention, if I wanted a temple, I get to decide the when and the who gets to build it. It's up to me. And then it's in this context, this passage of Scripture that David is about to allude to in Second and First Chronicles 28, that, that God delivers to David these incredible promises or this Davidic covenant. And it's important for us to understand what has come out of this process of David's desire to build the temple. God says, I didn't necessarily want a temple. I, I'm not going to choose you to do the temple. In fact, you can't build the temple. I'm going to leave that to someone else. But David, let me just remind you the kind of God that I am, and I'm going to add to that. I'm going to give you promises that will last forevermore. And what are those promises? If we go to chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, this is what he says in um, verse 11. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Get this. David is saying, God, I want to build you a house. God says, no, wait a minute. You don't build houses. I build houses. 
I have built a legacy for you, and I'm building my kingdom on your throne through you. I'm the, I'm the master builder, not you, David. Verse 12, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And David believed that that was to be Solomon. And I will secure his royal throne forever. Verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Just a reminder, that's God saying, by the way, you didn't remove Saul, I removed Saul. I'm the kingdom builder, not you, David. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So out of this desire to build a temple, God and David have a conversation through the prophet Nathan. And God says, hold up on the temple. You're not gonna build it. You have shed way too much blood. There's too much blood on your hands to, to build the temple. Not to mention, I get to choose who gets to do that we believe that person to be Solomon. David certainly believes that person to be Solomon. But out of that conversation, God delivers these incredible, incredible promises. What are these promises? He says, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants. And I'm going to give them a throne that lasts forever. He will build a house for me. And I will never remove my favor from him. I will always bless him. Yes, I will correct him, but I, I, I will always Bless him. He says, your house and your kingdom will continue forever before me for all time. Your throne will be secure forever, he says. That's the promise. Incredible promises. An incredible covenant that God has made with David out of this conversation about the temple. But here's the deal. Both Solomon and the temple were colossal disappointments. Solomon was not the fulfillment of that promise, was he? And the reality is, nor was the temple. At this point, when the chronicler was putting down these words for our benefit, and the benefit of the people of Israel, the temple was destroyed, and there was no king on the throne. And so you have to imagine the one who is writing these words down and reading and writing down the promises of God to David. He is thinking to himself, this has yet to be fulfilled. This was not fulfilled through Solomon. And there is no temple right now. On this side of history, we know who the promised fulfillment of that promise is. When God was talking about that house and that throne and that son that would last forevermore, he wasn't talking about Solomon or some future a king, earthly king. He was talking about the son of David, Jesus Christ. And so when we look at these promises, we as his church declare, we know who fulfilled that promise. We know who built that house. We know who built that lasting kingdom that would last forever more. 
Jesus, the Son of God. There's a reason why people, when they were seeking to be healed by Jesus, they would declare, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, there's a reason why Jesus, in confronta- his confrontation with the Pharisees and looking at the temple, he would say, listen, that's going to be destroyed in a heartbeat, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about another four-walled or multi-walled building. He was talking about himself. So when we begin this series, it's 13 weeks long. This series entitled Solomon Building a Place of Worship is not going to be about the temple. It's going to be about God's expectations and desires for his people, for his king. It's going to be what God demands and commands of us as we relate to him. That the temple is to embody and be a picture of, to point to. And so as we talk about the temple and Solomon these next few weeks, that's going to be the challenge for us, is what does God expect of you and us as we relate to him and all that he's given us? What does a life of worship and devotion to God look like? What does he long for us, demand of us, expect from us? We get a glimpse of what that looks like in the charge that David gives the people, the assembly there, along with Solomon directly. We've read these already, verses 8 through 10. Let me just read them again. Verses 8 through 10. So now, with God as our witness and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. This is God longing for them to know his blessing and favor. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind, for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David is charging this assembly and he's charging Solomon. Listen, I have prepared and I have a desire. And I believe God has commissioned us to build a temple, a permanent structure to be a testimony of his presence among God's people, uh, a, a picture and a sign of his blessing and his favor and a sign of his mercy. I long to build that, that beautiful glorified tabernacle. But before you can do any of that building, you have got to get your heart and mind aligned with God. You can't take that for granted. Uh, this, is, this is David saying, listen, as much as I value the temple because I want to honor and glorify God and who he is and his promises and his mercy to us, we cannot neglect the expectation God has for us as a people that rock us to our very core, that is not some external experience at an altar, but just but goes to our very heart and our mind. And David says, I want you to be careful, give special attention to what's going on here. 
Isn't what God longs for us? For our expression of worship to go beyond the four walls that we gather together in or the ceremonies and rituals, although they have incredible significance, only have as much significance as the hearts that follow it. Remember what what God said in in, in Isaiah? Listen, I don't want you trampling my courts if your heart is far away from me. I don't want it. I don't want all the ritual. I don't want all the sacrifices. It's it's meaningless if you don't have have a heart and mind that is completely devoted to me. That's why why David is saying, take it seriously. Be careful. You worship a God who knows every thought and plan of the heart. This is David saying, your devotion to him has to go much further than skin deep. It can't be half-hearted. Solomon, you, have, you must make sure as you endeavor to build this place that your heart is in the right place. That you have aligned your life with God. That you have moved, that you're moving toward and with God. Those are, those are the longings of the heart of a dad to a son as he's commissioning him to do incredible work. Make sure your heart and mind is in the right place. This is much like Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, right? Much like Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I encourage you brothers to offer your whole self as an as a act of sacrifice and worship to God. I want all of you. You give all of who you are to God. Those, that's, that's always been God's expectations for his people. Not just not to have us in part, but to have all of us. That's why Jesus says, you want to know what eternal life is? Eternal life is knowing the one true God and the one whom he has sent. There's, there's an intimacy there. And, and David encourages us, as he encourages Solomon, is your life moving with God? And are you recognizing that there are places in your life that are out of sync that you have to realign and move towards God again? That's repentance. Repentance is not just acknowledging that you have a bunch of mess in your life. Uh, repentance is not just confession. confession. Repentance is, is, goes beyond acknowledging and asking forgiveness. It says, I know where I've been, and I've gone my own way, but now I am going your way. Help me go your way. Repentance is moving towards God. It's not staying in the same place. And if repentance leads us only to stay in the same place and where we've always been, then repentance is only a prop for us. Repentance cannot be a prop. That's what David is saying. The temple cannot be a prop. The altar cannot be a prop. The Ark of the Covenant cannot be a prop to your worship, to this external showcase that doesn't reflect who you are in your own heart and mind. He says, no, you need to get to the heart of things. You've got to align your heart and your mind because God can see all of that. So don't just acknowledge your sin. Move towards God. Give him your whole self, all of it. And it's then that we, that we begin to experience knowing God and the blessing in knowing God and the delight that we have in God and the promise of God. 
when we align ourselves with what he is doing. God wants all of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of us. So be careful, David says, not to go your own way. Where it's all words and no heart, all ceremony and no devotion. The way I've been thinking about this week is um, is that the marriage is not the house, right? The marriage is not the house. When we, when we learn in, about marriage in the word of God, God describes it as oneness, right? This knowing between a husband and a wife that all of who they are belong to each other, that they're one in every regard, spiritually, emotionally, physically, that they, they are one, and that's to be a picture of what our relationship is to be like with God, that expectation of oneness. And so marriage is not the house. Can you imagine if we define marriage as the houses that we live in? And the stoves that we have in our home and the brick that surrounds our house and we just work on our house. We just work on our house. Make sure our lawn is great and pristine and wonderful and we're always repairing our house. Listen, Ann and I love and we're just in the process of doing a lot of new things in our house. But our house is not our marriage. In the same way, the temple is not authentic worship and communion with God. It has the ability to contain and be a beautiful picture of that relationship that should exist within those four walls as an expression of the people's devotion to God and God's commitment and blessing to the people. But let me tell you, The marriage is not the house. And so my challenge for us, especially over the next four weeks, is to move towards God together. Like like for real. For our worship not to be half-hearted, or a show, but as we encounter God and, and we see him and we hear of his ways through his word that we recognize, gosh, I'm not there. I'm not headed the same direction as God. And we say, I need to move towards God today. I need to give him that. I need to repent that I haven't been headed that direction. I need, I need to move towards him. Will we do that? Will we redirect? Will we be more than just the external show of worship, which must be beautiful and true. May it be an expression of what God is doing in our heart and mind as we move towards him every day, every day. That's what we long to happen in our church family. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, uh, gosh, this challenge Help us to move towards you. Lord, when we think of the temple, we think of your presence among your people. We think of your mercy and forgiveness. We think of your fulfilled promises. We think of your favor. Lord, we know that ultimately all of those realities for us as your people 
were confirmed to us through your son who has built a kingdom that will last forever, a house that will last forever, and who has deposited the spirit of God into our bodies, the very temples of God. And now we ask by that very same spirit that you would help us move towards you each and every day. We trust in your forgiveness. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. Uh, we, we bank on the grace that you give us. But Lord, we also recognize that there are places in our life that although forgiven are not aligned with you. Help us to redirect those. Help us to move towards you as individuals and as a body of believers. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.